Good morning, Life Church. Such an honor to be with you guys today. You know, we, uh, as uh, Pastor Aaron talked to me about uh, the persecuted church and what is our response and how should we think about it. When we see what's happening in Ukraine, I just had a bishop, uh, meeting with the Bishop of Georgia. There are persecuted people coming into their nation. Many, many churches in Ukraine have been burned down and destroyed. Many congregations are scattered. In North Africa recently, we had an entire country. We just saw the movement of a new church. Every believer was arrested in their own death row right now. Many of our personnel were arrested and all of them were thrown out of the country. We had another country where one of our teams in the Middle East, a man was shot down in front of his house. His children ran out of the house to find him. The other missionaries were recently contacted by the FBI and they were told, you're on a list, stay at your own risk. So how are we to respond to a world aflame? How do we respond when people are being persecuted? How do we respond? How do we as people in a free nation, how do we respond to those who are suffering today around the world? I'm going to begin reading in Romans chapter 8 verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. How many of you does the Spirit of God resonate within you today that you are a child of God? That is a beautiful thing, isn't it? To know that we are children of God. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings. You see, there's, there's a caveat to being an heir of God. You walk in the footsteps of Christ. To be an heir of God, you take on yourself the purposes of Christ. To be a part of God's family is to walk as God's children in order that we also may share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So suffering for the people of God is inevitable. When Peter wrote to the church, he said, why do you think it's strange that something difficult is happening to you? This is to be expected. Anybody that reads the Gospels cannot walk away with an expectation that following Jesus is easy. You cannot read the Gospels and walk away with an expectation that following Jesus is a pathway to an easy life. You see, the cross is not just the means of our salvation. It is also the model of what it means to follow God. The cross models for us our vocation. That as God sent his son to lay down his life so that others could have life, that God now calls us his children, his heirs, to walk with Christ in laying down our lives so others can have life. We are called to this vocation with Christ. So how do we respond to suffering? How do we respond to persecution? How do we as people sitting here today, what has God called us to do? Romans Chapter 8, we'll continue reading, verse 19. For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Verse 22, for 
we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Even, even creation itself sees the suffering, sees the death, sees the sin, sees the pain. And, and the Bible says that creation itself is groaning. That God created all of us. He created the earth, the heavens, the moons, the stars, and all that you see around us. Literally, the Bible says that all of creation is groaning, and God invites us to this groaning with him. This desire when the world is put to right. Earlier this year, I, uh, I had to bury my mother-in-law. And at the funeral, as I was speaking at the funeral, you know, we hear these words. How many of you ever heard somebody say, you know, death is a natural part of life? How many of you have ever heard that phrase? How many of you know that's not true? You were not created to die. You were created to live. You were not created for death. You were not created for sin. You were not created for suffering. You were created for life. Sin came in the world, and through sin, suffering and death entered the world. But Jesus died and was resurrected, and when Jesus returns, everything will be put to right. There will be no more death. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more suffering when Jesus returns to fully establish his rule and reign on earth. And that is what we long for. So that is why we weep when there is death. We acknowledge this is not right. The suffering we see, it's not right. The pain, the injustice we see, it is not right. And our first response to injustice, to pain, to persecution is that we as a people enter in with groaning, with lament. We pray and we cry out. Whenever my children are suffering, whenever... They do something dumb. I have grown children, and they do dumb things sometimes. And whenever my children do something dumb, nobody ever has to remind me to pray. I don't need to get an email at night saying, hey, remember, remember Josiah messed up today. You know, I, I go to bed with it heavy on my heart. How many of you parents have ever woke up in the middle of the night just longing and crying out for your children that they make good choices. It's the first thing on your mind when you wake up. It, is, it haunts you throughout the day. Why? Because of love, because of concern, and we groan, we lament. Why? Because of love. And God is calling us to that kind of concern for his people around the world. I'm not asking you to love your family less. I'm just asking you to love the world more. I'm just asking you to level up your love. Yes, you love your family and everybody else is down here, but I just want you to level it up to bring your love and concern for the world up to your love and concern for your own family because that's how God loves us. That's how God loves us. We enter in, so we respond with groaning. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. That we, 
the people of God, the children of God, the heirs with Christ, the Spirit of God is in us, and God has called us to groaning. God has called us to lament. I I don't know how this works any more than I know how my phone works. How many of you actually understand how your phone works? I mean, you're sitting here in Wisconsin, and you call somebody in India, and you're having a conversation in real time. How does that work? I have no idea how it works, but I don't stop using it because I don't know how it works. I don't know how I'm able to FaceTime my family in India. I just know I can, and because I know I can, I do it because I know it works. I can't tell you how it works that my groaning and my concern affects people in prison today in the Middle East. I can't tell you how my groaning affects a situation in Ukraine, but I know by the Word of God and I know by experience that it works. And God is calling us as a people to join with Him in prayer, in lament, in groaning. Our first response to the pain, to the persecution, is lament. We partner with God in groaning, empathy, deep concern for God's creation to be made right. Our involvement starts with caring. Starts with caring. So what do you need to do for the persecuted church? It starts simply with you got to care. You got to care. A few years ago when Afghanistan was falling and we were pulling out, I remember on the TV, and some of you saw this image, there was a young man who was so desperate, he held on to a plane as it was taking off. Can you imagine your options being so limited that the best chance you have of survival is to hold on to a plane as it's taken off. That's better than the option of staying. Can you imagine being that desperate? And when I saw that, my heart was just wrecked. I've never been to Afghanistan. I'm not called to Afghanistan. But the Spirit of God intercedes through us. And I started to groan for Afghanistan. I started to pray for Afghanistan. You see, our, 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 our connection starts with groaning, with just simply caring. I'm just asking your day to care. Just care. Just be concerned. And that concern, then the next day, I talked to one of our team leaders in India, and I said, I don't know what's happening, but I saw this on TV last night, and I just can't get it out of my heart. I've been praying all night. I've been praying all morning. I think we have to do something for Afghanistan. I know we're in India, and, and we, we don't have connection, but we've got to do something for Afghanistan. And as soon as I said that to our team leader, he said, that is unbelievable. He said, you're not going to believe it. This morning, I was walking on the streets of my city. This was in Mumbai. He said, and I met an Afghan refugee who had just gotten saved. I said, well, introduce me. And so we started talking to him. We found out there were 13,000 Afghan refugees in India. I talked to our local church, one of our local churches, and I said, hey, would you mind, can I use your sanctuary? I want to invite these refugees to come, and we want to talk to them and see how we can help them. So we ended up in our church in India, 500 Afghani heads of household came to the meeting. 
And we talked to them. How can we help you? We prayed for them. We shared the gospel with them. We moaned and groaned with them for family members who were lost. And I can tell you today, because of a simple act of concern, that today we know over a 1,000 Afghan refugees in India are in Christ today, and we have four churches planted. It just, it just starts with concern. It's not enough to see it and turn it off. I mean, we get weary with images. When, when the war in Ukraine started, man, we were all in there, but now it's just kind of something happening off in the distance. What if it was your kids? What if it was your brother? What if it was your family member on the front line? God calls us to concern, to lament, to join with him. It doesn't explain why we suffer. It doesn't explain why the persecution happened, but it does show us how we are to respond. And this is how God's involvement starts with us. You remember in Exodus chapter 3, it says that God looks down. In verse 7, it said, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. Now, Moses, I am sending you. I can tell you today there is no suffering, there is no pain in this world that is outside of the sight of God. That God looks down on suffering today and, and he sees it. He hears the cry and the groaning. God is concerned and God sends us to engage and to intercede. But, but it starts with caring because you'll never hear the voice of God. You will never involve yourself if you don't care. It starts with caring. This is how Jesus' ministry started. Over and over of Jesus, it says this phrase, he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion and he healed them. He was moved with compassion and he touched the leper. He was moved with compassion and he taught them. It says at one time when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion and he said, pray the Lord of the harvest to send labors. Why is there a lacking of people sharing the gospel? Why are there still 3 billion people across the world today who have yet to be engaged with the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's not because we don't have enough money. It's not because we don't have the technology. It's not because we don't know how to get there. It's just simply that we don't care enough. We just don't care enough. If our hearts were broken, we'd get involved. Involvement starts with a broken heart. But there is another step. We start with concern. We start with groaning. We start with care. But then we have to do this. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And we know that all things God works for the good for those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. All things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, if we're not careful, we can read this kind of verse, and it can also almost lead us to a sense of stoicism. Things are going to happen. Oh, your mother died. All things work together for good. Don't worry about it. Oh, you have cancer. Hey, don't worry about it. God's going to work all things to good. It leads us to passivity. 
simply believing, oh, stuff happens and we really have no control over it. Just take it. Somehow God's going to work good. But that's not what Paul is admonishing us to do. Remember what he's been admonishing so far. We're going to suffer. People are suffering around the world. What are we to do about it? We are to groan. We are to intercede. We are to pray. We are to have deep concern. And then he shares with us this verse. I actually looked into to the, the Greek uh, of this verse, and it's an interesting thing. When it says that God works, the, the verb that it used is a verb. I'm going to see if you guys are awake today and see if you know. What English word do you think we derive from the Greek word synergy? How many of you would have a guess? Man, you guys are asleep. How many of you have a guess? Synergy. Somebody's awake. <laughs> Somebody knows syntax. <laughs> Synergy. See, this is a German place, not a Greek place. You guys don't. I should have asked you some German word. <laughs> Synergy. Synergy. And what is synergy? Synergy is when, when things are working together. And so what Paul is saying to them is that God brings about his good working together with us. That we are working together with God to accomplish his good on this earth. Good doesn't happen by accident. Salvation didn't happen by accident. It happened with an activity, a thought of, I'm going to give my life so that others can have life. And now God invites us into his work in synergy, working with him, that God is working with and through us to accomplish his good on the earth. That's how good happens. So how are wars Decided. How can we be a part of seeing people minister to? We work with God. We determine, I'm not going to sit on the sideline. I'm going to work with God to accomplish his good on this earth. I don't know if you realize this, but, but darkness is not actually a thing. It's not quantifiable. There's no wave to darkness. There's no motion to darkness. There is no matter in darkness. Darkness is simply the absence of something, right? So darkness is simply the absence of light. Where there is no light, there is darkness. People have said, why did God create evil? God did not create evil. You see, evil is not actually a thing. It's like darkness. Evil is simply the absence of good. Evil is the absence of good. Evil isn't something you can quantify in itself. It is the absence of what is good. You see, evil only exists in the spaces where the people of God don't. Are you with me? Darkness only exists in the spaces where light is not shining. So why is there so much evil in the world? Why is there so much darkness in the world? Because we of the people of God passively sit by and watch it instead of walking into it and shining the light and goodness of God. Are you guys with me today? I mean, we can solve the problems of our world. The challenge is we see a neighborhood that's dark and we say, oh, that's not a good space for my kids. i got to move out. We, the people of God, need to be moving in. 
As missionaries, we can't look at countries and say, oh, the country I live in today, I've been blacklisted, I've been banned, I can't go in, what are we to do, I can't go back. No, we don't look at that and run from it. We are people of light, we run into darkness. We do not fear the darkness, we do not fear the evil, the goodness of God rests in us, the light of God shines through us, and we as a people have to be the kind of people that when we see persecution, when we see darkness, we run into it and we engage and see the goodness of God released into this dark world. That's what God has called us to do. The writer of Hebrews writes to them and he, and he makes this statement to them. He said, remember those in prison as if you yourself were in prison. And remember those who are mistreated as if you yourself were mistreated. Let me tell you, remembering is not passive. It's not simply a thought. You see, the writer of Hebrews, as he's writing this, he recognizes, I don't know if you know it, but Roman prisons weren't like our penal system. It's not the same thing. It's not a prison in America today and a prison there was the same thing. You see, in those days when you went to prison, you only ate if somebody brought you food. You only had a blanket if somebody brought you a blanket. So if you went to prison and you were forgotten, then you died. That's how it worked in the Roman system. If you didn't have a family member to make you food and bring it to you every day, then you were going to starve to death in prison. If you didn't have a family member to bring you a blanket and it was cold, you were going to freeze to death in prison. There was nothing provided in prison. You either had to pay the guards or somebody have to bring it. So when Paul is writing to them, he's saying, you've got to remember because you have brothers and sisters in prison. And if you're not providing for them, if you're not standing with them, if you forget them, then they are going to die. And I want to tell you today, we have brothers and sisters in Ukraine today who are suffering. And if we don't remember them, they are going to die. We have brothers and sisters today in the Middle East who are hanging on by a thread. And if we don't remember them, they are going to die. If we don't remember them in prayer, if we don't remember them in giving, if we don't remember them in going, then they are going to suffer without the knowledge of Christ. We as a people are called into remembrance. And remembrance is an action. Remembrance is an action. I spent most of my career living in India. I served in an area in the hills where I was sent into this area up in the Himalayan mountains where there were no churches. And I was asked to go and pioneer the work. And as we started working, we saw some young men and women come to the Lord. There was a valley that we went into one day, and as we were preaching in this valley, I was walking and going through the streets of this town, and, and I really don't know what happened, but the next thing I know, a big rock flew by my head. People started throwing shoes. Fists started flying. And I know you're very brave, and you would have stood there and kept preaching, but I started running. 
And me and all of my young Indians say, we're running down the hill, and there are rocks flying, and they're chasing us. And as we're running down the hill, we came to, to a bridge. There was a little river that separated. We ran across the bridge, and when we got to the other side, we realized they're not chasing us anymore, so we stopped. And we started checking each other, and some got some bleeding, some need some stitches, and we're cut up and bruised a little bit, and we're trying to catch our breath. And while we're standing there, young men from the village, the, the elders came down, and they sent people back in the village, and they came running down and they made a fire. And all the Bibles and the gospel tracts we gave out, they started ripping up and they started burning them. And I'm standing on the other side of this river from this young boy and he starts looking at me and he's, he's cursing at me. I, I can't hear him, the river's raging, but I could just see him pointing his finger and he's, I could just see him just abusing me. And then all of a sudden this young boy, he took a, a little New Testament that we had given and he ripped it up. He's only about 10 years old. He rips it up, and he throws it into the river. And there was an elder sitting beside him, behind him, and he put his hands on his shoulder, patted him on the shoulder, and he walked away. You could tell he was very excited about what this young man had done. And this young man stood there looking at me a little bit longer, and, and then he looked over his shoulder, and then he looked at me and opened up his jacket, and he had another New Testament in his pocket, and he winked at me, and he ran up in the village. For 20 years, nothing happened. And then one day, at the start of our Bible school year, a young man came to our Bible school. And I asked him, I said, where are you from? And he was from that village. He told me his journey of how he came to faith. He said, I'm the first person in my village to know Jesus, and I want to make sure everybody in my village knows Jesus. He went to Bible school for a year. We trained him, and we sent him back. After a few years, I went back to visit him. He lives far up in the mountains. Uh, I mean, it takes days to get to his village. And I sat with him, and we walked through. There are 20 villages in this valley. And after two years, they now had believers in 18 of the 20 villages. And he shared with me. He said, uh, pray for me. Life's getting hard. He said, uh, we can take it. I've been beaten. Many times they've come and they've tried to throw us out of the village, but we're okay. He said, but pray for me. He said, my children haven't been to school in two years. The local authorities won't let them go to school. He said, I don't know if I can take it. Pray for me. And so we prayed, but we also decided prayer's not enough. So I asked him, I said, how much would it cost to Help us make sure your kids, where, where, is there a school nearby you could send your kids if you had money? And we ended up finding out it was $25 a month, $300 a year to send his four kids to school. And now that pastor is still there and he's gone into other valleys and the gospel is going forth because we cared and because we brought good. We worked, got involved, and he's still there. Across India today, we are now, we have, we found out this was a very normal thing across India. We have over 300 children every year. Their parents are pioneer church planners that we're providing education so they can stay on the field and keep serving. This church, your church, is standing with workers in difficult places today. You're standing with workers in difficult places. And they're there because you care and because you work because you get involved. God has called us to this kind of hard work. God wants to work together with us. Why, why does God use us? 
that, that's a very interesting question. God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need our energy. He doesn't need our wisdom. He doesn't need our strength. But why does God ask us to get involved? There's only one word, and that's love. It's love. God loves us so much that even though he doesn't need us, he chooses to let us get involved. You are loved by God. And I want to encourage you today to respond to God and say, yes, Lord, I want to get involved. I want to work in synergy with you to bring good in all the earth. God, we want to partner with you. Would you just lift both your hands as a sign of surrender to the Lord? Father, we offer ourselves to you today. Spirit of God, would you work in our hearts? Help us to care the way you care. Help us to love this world the way you love the world. Help us to love your people the way you love your people. God, I just pray that deep concern, that groaning and lament would rise up within us. That, Lord, we would no longer be able to see the images of pain and desperation and just turn it away. But, God, I just pray that groaning would come from us. And, Lord, we do pray for your people who are facing difficulties today in places like Syria and Yemen and Sudan. We pray for for those who are facing the sword in places like Yemen today. Lord, we pray, be with your people. Lord, we pray that we would have your concern for your people. And Lord, I just pray that this concern would lead to action. It would lead to us bringing your light, your good into the far corners of the earth. So we offer ourselves today Lord, show us today how we can be involved in bringing hope and life to your people around the world. Lord, we dedicate our lives to you again. Let your name be glorified in Jesus' name.